Ho, ho, ho. Welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Kimberly Trung, and I've been enjoying The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. To my, <laughs> that's my, that's my Netflix drop of the week. To my virtual right, I've got Doug Ameth. All right, I'm on the right little update. Um, I am off as of two days from now for two weeks, so I've been mentally checked out since last Sunday. <laughs> And I still have not found a PlayStation 5 or the new Xbox. I almost mm. said we didn't notice, but then I realized that would not be a compliment. Physically, Ooh. I'm here, but up, upstairs, I'm already gone. <laughs> Duck is throwing shade. No, Duck no, is throwing I'm not shade. throwing shade. I'm saying I was trying to look out for you, Doug. I, like, I, Thank you. I, I hope you have a great vacation. And I could not care less whether you find a PS12. <laughs> <laughs> to my virtual left, I've got the lovely Paul Ducklin. I couldn't have put it better myself. Hello, everybody. Let's get into it. What do we've got going on this week, Doug? Ooh, I've got some, normally we just jump right into the headlines, but I've got some housekeeping. We will be off for the next two weeks, uh, but we will have podcasts for you. We've got a great interview that Kim did with Rachel Toback. That'll be next week. And the week after that, a great interview Kim did with Karen Elizari. So those will be two great episodes to check out. Indeed. Doug, just to be clear, nakedsecurity.sophos.com will not be on vacation, although obviously won't be publishing as much as usual. So you will, the podcast will go up there as usual. So it won't be something you'll have to download in advance and wait. But for the podcasts, the three of us will probably not be back on the mic until next year. We also do acknowledge that there was a solar winds incident. It's still ongoing. <laughs> I shouldn't know. Why am I laughing? I shouldn't be. <laughs> why are you laughing? Well, Doug? because, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things like, like, a, like remember the Target hack or Equifax or something. It's one of those things. It's going to be a story for the next two times 10 to the eight years because yeah, it is the way of the world, right? N-A-N-A-S around here. So check out uh, <laughs> news.sophos.com for updates. We have two articles up right now, how to identify if you've been inf- affected and an incident response playbook with a bunch of tips and stuff that you can use to uh, protect yourself against something like this and other attacks like it. And if you've looked at those articles, feel free to go back because as as more emerges or more people you know, talk about what they found they do get updated. So those are the great resources. Rather than saying, this is what happened, and then, you know, and moving on, I think that kind of living article is much more useful. And then if you haven't already checked it out, check out Paul's mini-sode with John Shire about uh, 20 years of cyber threats that shaped InfoSec. Here's a quick clip. What, I guess, exacerbated this worm error was just the, the connectivity. So again, in 2000, around that time, things became a lot more connected. And it was it was at that point, really easy for cyber criminals to go, okay, well, if I want to cause a lot of damage, I just send this one thing out that can self-replicate and off it goes. It takes off because everything was interconnected back in those days. I remember being at a conference in the 90s where somebody presented a paper where they'd measured, I think it was like sort of the median time for new malware that six months before had been unknown, but now was widespread. The median time for it to become what you would consider in the wild was about three months, believe it or not. Now, you know, we get malware attacks and and scamming attacks and phishing attacks that come and go in 
hours or even minutes. Again, that's available wherever you get your Naked Security podcast. It's in between episode 10 and this one, which is episode 11. So episode 10.5, if you will. So Paul, that was a great interview. It's not too serious. Like you don't, it's actually designed as a podcast for people who aren't terribly technical but we do go into some of the technical issues so it's it's not really oh we're going to analyze 400 bits of malware for five seconds each in deep analytical detail it's more about you know the crooks have changed we've changed too here's why and that's the big question these days it's not you know what happened it's why did it happen so we can stop it happening next time uh, so this week, we're going to talk about fishing tricks. We're going to talk about subway fishing, not to be confused with the tubes and the trains underground. It's the uh, dodgy sandwiches. And then we're going to talk about COVID-19 vaccine hacks? Question mark. But first, fun fact, cats have fewer toes on their back paws. Five on the front, four on the back. Kim, did you know that? You're a cat owner. I did not know that. I'm ashamed to admit that I did not know that. Guinea pigs have something similar. They have four toes on the front and three on the back. And obviously, I think the ones on the back are for, for their, the toes are much straighter and longer, so they're, they're to help them run. And the front ones, I presume, are for scrabbling and tunneling and stuff. So, yeah, apparently that's not that unusual. I believe five is the maximum <laughs> generally found. No, yep. like, so a lot of animals well. have five, five and five, but quite a few have fewer, and they're not always equal. If you know an animal that's the other way around, where it has more toes on the back than the front, uh, let us know in the comments. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Also, if you have any tips for how I can be a better cat mother and actually get my cat to sit still while I have to clip his claws, I'd love to hear those comments as well. (laughs) I'd love some hot tips on that. Um, Also, too, before we get into the headlines, I'm just going to tease the oh no of the week. So stick around to the end of the episode for the oh no. But all I'm going to say is that make sure that you confirm that path, buddy. That's all I'm going to say. So there's so much nostalgia packed into this one. Can't wait. Okay, let's talk about fishing. So uh, Russell and Juan spend their days trying to figure out how to trick people for our fish threat fishing training product. And they've written an article. They've got some tips about A, how to best fish someone. Don't do it, of course. And B, what to do to avoid being (laughs) fished. So, Paul, let's start off with step one. That is a weird job, isn't it? As they said, you know, we have legitimate employment creating phishing emails. Of course, they can't go, they can't do all the tricks that the crooks would because there are are some limits of legality and and ethics and human decency that they have to avoid. But the idea is, yeah, to to get something that's realistic enough that people actually feel they've learned something and that they don't just obviously stand out. So, yeah, they... they, um, they gave us three examples. You know, they said, you try, if you want to imagine yourself being a fisher, you need to think of which human emotion do I want to hang my, use as the hook to hang, hang my hat on today. And you can maybe combine them, but if you, it, it sets the tone. And so the, the examples I gave were curiosity, hope, and necessity. And the curiosity one was about a little dog that had got lost and you know you needed to help the owner find it because it was running around the around the outside the building where the, of, of your company uh 
The hope one was, hey, we know you're looking for a better job. Here's an opportunity to, you know, double your salary and it all sounds great. And the necessity, this one, in my opinion, this works very well for the crooks. They say, hey, that you know, there's, there's been a hack or there's been an attack on your account. It's not necessarily your fault, but you do need to change your password. And by making it look like it's the IT team, the crooks are convincing you to do something that's desperately insecure. Uh Although they're, they're wrapping it up as the fact that if you don't do it, if you do do it, you'll be way more secure. And in this, so, so they've got beautiful screenshots. They, they sent, obviously sent the emails out and then took screenshots of the campaigns. Go and have a look at those on Naked Security. It's might be better as poems, if you ask me. Yeah, picked screenshots don't work in a podcast. So I converted them into poems. So the curiosity fish, if you wish to do verse fishing, goes like this. Oh, help me find my puppy, please. He's got me worried sick. He's such a fluffy little dog. Click here to see a pic. Love it. And that's Cute. the nature of the scam, right? Exactly the same we wrote earlier about another one that these that these guys came up with about a car in the car park with a flat tire. And click here. If it's yours, you might want to get someone to come and fix it rather than wait till you're about to go home and find you got a flat tire. And who wouldn't look? So that curiosity really works. The next one, of course, is about, hey, here's a better job. You know, why don't you apply? And you imagine the problem with job applications is if you convince that there might be a job at the end of it, there's probably an application form. You know, when you're applying for a job, you generally are giving away lots of personally identifiable information. So that's a way for the crooks to get a whole lot of stuff about you all in one go. Not just your password, but things like date of birth, maybe even things like social security number, drivers, license entitlement, all of that stuff that they can use against you. So that fish in verse goes like this. We've got a very special job for workers who think big. Complete this application form. You're bound to get the gig. Love it. Don't complete the application form uh, unless you're absolutely certain where it came from, particularly job applications the crooks are going to use that data against you. And by the way, even worse, in many cases, we see these job application forms for the crooks. They're not so much interested in your personal information. They're interested in offering you a job, but the job will be very unwholesome because it will mean you may end up mewling or processing transactions for them where you cannot vouch for the source of the money. So if something goes wrong, you're left holding the debt and you're probably left holding some legal liability as well. Could even put you in prison, so don't do it. In the article, I was immediately tipped off that this was a phony email because the first line is, our company is hiring for a sales position. It's a $200,000 a year opportunity. <laughs> yeah. oh. There's no way. Oh, you're <laughs> thinking, oh, that, your that's basis, such a your tiny <laughs> little company then. <laughs> Uh, and of course, the, the the necessity one in this case, it's you know we fa- we think there's been a comp- we found a compromise, and it all sounds very very believable. Multiple login failures, blah 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 blah. So inverse that kind of scam, and watch out for these because the crooks love these because they make you think you're doing the right thing to improve security, but of course you're doing exactly the opposite. And this one goes like this: It says some naughty crook has broken in and hit you with a hack. Please pick a brand new password if you want your access back. Click. <laughs> Don't. Uh, it does sound great, doesn't it? You're going to a site. Oh, well, they're asking you to pick a new password. And when you change your password, you do have to, when you pick a new password, you do have to put it in somewhere. And when you're doing that, you need to be really careful that what you're not doing is 
doing a password change where the crooks happen to know what the password is because they're doing some kind of man in the middle. And of course, typically with those forms, there's a whole load of other stuff as well. So like identify the accounts and, you know, you click here to all the accounts you've got and put in your email. It's all sorts of confirmation stuff. So be very, very careful when you get emails that say to improve your security, do X, Y, and Z. And uh, of course, don't rely on any information in the email to make your judgment about the truth of the email because the crooks can certainly lie with the best of them. And then they go on to say that uh, the next step is to build the email. And I noticed there's a paragraph in here. My idea to make the unsubscribe link, the actual poisonous link, is not so uh, novel. <laughs> this is the, this is already a Sorry, thing. So. Or yeah. maybe they are, maybe they are um, dutiful Naked Security podcast I was just going to say, and they stole the idea that from me. And thought, yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Maybe. Nice one, Doug. Russell and one. It's going to copy HR on this email. If, <laughs> if you look at a lot of those phishing emails, you'll see that in many cases, it's not just unsubscribe, right? So they'll, they'll also have things like the privacy policy and the contact us and the legal. All of the, all of the links that you expect a genuine website to have. In the old days, the crooks would just have a screenshot and and, they, and they, they'd have those links in, but the links wouldn't go anywhere, which became a giveaway. So now they make those links work and they either send them to the real privacy policy of the company's brand they're ripping off, or they just take you to the phishing site. So all the links work. They just all go to the wrong place. Okay, so you pick the target, you play on their curiosity, hope, and necessity, you build the email, and then you send the email. So... That's the easy way. You just pick a free webmail service with an account that if it gets closed down in 24 hours, well, you've already sent the emails by then. And, and of course, the problem with any of those, those webmail services is the tests, like you've probably heard of things like SPF and DKIM, that says this mm -hmm. server that sent this email is the one that's supposed to send messages for this company. Mm -hmm. uh, and DKIM says, yeah, it really did go through their server because they signed it with a with a um, a cryptographic key that you can verify by going back to their server. Of course, for things like Outlook.com and Gmail, those always pass because the email did come from that server. Uh, and of course, it means that the more familiar we get with everybody having just a name at the same domain name is it means you can't use the fact of going oh that doesn't look like the right company because so many people you know they think they do use they do use those addresses for personal work and both and they mix them together so you know what works for us sadly works for the crooks but you can go one step further and the the, the guys wrote about that in the article which is where you 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 create a server and it could you know it could be some it could be some cloud service that's $9 a month and you're, you're going to need $9 worth of service because you only need it for 24 hours. And you, you just register a domain name that's kind of either sounds like the company um, or has some tiny misspelling that makes it look right. Even if it's a domain name that isn't meant to be a lookalike because theoretically the, the people who issue domain names they're not supposed to issue them if they could reasonably form the opinion that there was an intent to deceive so if you had a company that where a well-known company they had a w in their name and someone tried to re register exactly the same domain with two v's instead of a w then 
clearly that's kind of passing off and you're not supposed to allow that. But, you know, you think about it, I, I use the Microsoft Edge browser on Linux and it's currently only available in, in a developer build. And so to get it, you go to microsoftedgeinsider.com, mm. not microsoft.com or live.com or outlook.com or one of the many domains that, say, Microsoft use. And lots of companies do that. They've got they've got domain names that they use for particular parts of their business empire. So, you know, if someone had sent me, if I got an email that said microsoftedgeinsiderupdate.com, I think I would be excused for assuming, oh, it's just another one of those perfectly legitimate looking ones. So then what can people do to stop these phishing attacks? And not to spoil it, but I think it might have something to do with education. Well, unsurprisingly, um, the guys who work on fish threat think that's a good idea. And I don't think they're saying that because they work on fish threat. I think they, they work on fish threat because they know it works. And if you look at some of the comments on that article, that's very, some very nice feedback from uh, readers and customers saying, yeah, we like this approach. Um, and basically never give up on people. There is this school of thought these days in some parts of cybersecurity. Oh, users are idiots. They'll never, you know, they can't learn. They can't learn to use passwords. They hate 2FA. You know, all the reasons that sometimes people do give as to why they don't want to do security stuff. Yet, most of us are perfectly smart and well-intentioned enough to want to get security right. Most people I've met, particularly those who who work for a company, where they're expected to use a computer and use things like email all the time. The vast majority, close to 100% of those people want to do the right thing because it's it's not just the company on the line, it's their job on the line. And, you know, we talk about Gmail and how you work and work and home life mix. It's their own personal identity on the line. So never give up on education. And, you know, the reason for the existence of tools like Sophos Fish Threat, where some people don't like them because they think, oh, you know, well, you you know, you're just doing it to embarrass users or to make them feel foolish by proving that you can trick them if you want. The problem is the crooks are testing your users 50 times a day. And so, as we put it in the paper, you know, why not have a mechanism whereby you can let people make their mistakes when the stakes are very, very low, essentially zero, rather than risk them making the same mistake when the stakes are very, very high, could be as high as a $10 million ransomware attack down the line. And it's hard to argue with that. Fishing tricks that really work and how to avoid them, that's at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And if you'd like to try fish threat, just go to sophos.com. Now, before we started recording... (laughs) Duck and I walked a little bit down memory lane about talking about the famous subway. Not exactly my number one spot to get a sandwich, but I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm in the mood for a subway sandwich. And uh, <laughs> apparently I'm not the only one. But uh, We had a subway right, at, right, at, right down the street from where I lived in college. And it was right when Jared was doing his eating subway every day and lost a bunch of weight. <laughs> so I went to my subway every day. And got a foot-long ham and cheese with lettuce and extra mayo. And I ate that every day. And I did not lose weight. You did not lose weight. Wow. I gained it. Very yeah. tricky, these The 12 pints of beer that you washed it down with may yeah, have had probably something didn't to do, do with it. that. So many, so many wrong turns. <laughs> Just as an aside, is it true that the sub in Subway stands for submarine because a foot-long baguette looks a bit like a submarine? Correct. Soggy mm-hmm. submarine? Correct. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd, I, I, it wasn't that someone found the sandwich in a ditch or something. 
Oh God, <laughs> that's that. Well, no, I, I, maybe. I, 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 yeah, so submarine submarine sandwich. Submarine sandwich. That's right. So if you, I mean, Subway is huge around the world. I know it's not just uh, an American thing, but um, specifically for this story, we're talking about Subway sandwich scam. Say that three times fast. So Subway customers in the UK and Ireland were swamped this week with scam emails. Um, that was a phishing campaign that aimed to trick these people into downloading malware. We received a sample that looked, uh, or should I say, read like this. I'll read it out loud, of course, with misspellings. If you want to check out the actual email, you can head on over to Naked Security. But this is what the email read. John, thanks for shopping with us. You'll find a summary of your recent purchase below. You will receive another that's how it's spelled, another email when your order has shipped, review details, which then, of course, links to a dodgy link. If you do not see links and pictures, use the web version, which, of course, links to another dodgy link. Um, Yeah, there were actually two separate sites, to be reassuring. So it wasn't that thing where, oh, (laughs) they had actually put put the stuff up twice. And by the time I investigated, one of them had actually been taken down. So it was like, it was almost like the crooks, they were kind of, you know, backing the horse both ways, if you like. They figured, oh, that one didn't work. You just mm-hmm. get a blank screen or forbidden or whatever because it's been removed by the owner of that site. Or when you go to the other one, mm-hmm. um, so it was like yep. they had they, they they had their backup. Annoyingly, what's being shipped? Meat. I know. I was just gonna say. I'm like. So I was like, am I losing my mind? Um, and I don't think I am. So uh, the, we also had a reader report a I message think it shipped as in home delivery. But yeah, that. But the, even that language is weird, right? To say shipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. This, this. The good news is these were not the smartest scammers in the book because exactly. of what happened. That they went from there to a site that identified itself as Fresh Books. So Great. I, I don't know whether that was a site they'd hacked or whether they accident whether they had another scam going on with an online book order. FreshBooks is accounting software they use to bill um, clients. It's freelancers use it. I have an account that I oh. used to. Oh, so, it's books yeah, as in FreshBooks account is. books, right? Yeah. So I'm not oh, going to get. Oh, that makes sense. Summary of in- summary of documents, books. statement, invoices. Documents. Yeah, so you, for you'd go there to gotcha. get an invoice. Yep. Not whether invoice. Oh, right. You see what happens when. You know, intellectuals meet a freelancer. Um, <laughs> well, you don't see it in this case, Doug. I, I didn't mean to say that aloud. I only meant to think it. Um, so I, I guess they mixed up two scams, but the... the um, and you download a document and it says a oh, document password. And the password in this case is Subway that you have to type in. Now, you know, people generally don't use office document passwords for real security. They just use it for a bit of protection. But it's a standard trick that you do see with crooks is that first it makes it a little bit more a little bit more of a hassle for an antivirus program to take the file apart because chunks of it are encrypted. Uh, and secondly, it kind of sounds like, well, because security, right? Oh, it's password protected. There's a password on it. These people must be serious about security, and they are. What they're serious about is messing with your security. Um, and then, of course, the download the download does something similar, claiming to be, oh, it's it's protected by DocuSign. I don't know how prevalent that is in the US, but certainly in the UK, their DocuSign contracts are accepted uh, by very many people. So, you know, you, you generally don't sign contracts anymore. You do them with a digital system. So they've ripped off the DocuSign brand. DocuSign's got nothing to do with this. They just, they've put in the DocuSign logo and it says, you know, the document's protected by the DocuSign Protect Service. And that's why when you open it, there are all these 
security settings you have to change. And we've seen this before. The whole idea is they're getting you to enable document macros, which are basically embedded programs. And that program downloads and implants the malware. I mean, is it me or the people behind this really are are really lazy this time? Because there is nothing that makes sense. In fact, the whole thing from end to end feels like a huge red flag. Um, yeah, that's a good news. I don't know about lazy, right? Because they, it's really complicated. They've got all these stages right, true, and the yeah. document and the password protection. And you're thinking, look, you know, we live in a litigious world, but I've never had to do digitally signed <laughs> contracts to buy a sandwich. sandwich. Not yet. <laughs> Not any sandwich. <laughs> Especially a Subway sandwich, let's be real. Maybe um, if I was agreeing to be the provider of flour in bulk to Subway, I would expect there like to be a Or like a huge catering order, right? Like something gigantic, not like... Listen, these guys are mentally checked out. <laughs> just, they're on vacation I, like you, The holidays you, are coming. Yeah, they're just like, oh, okay, we got to get this Subway hack out. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> who's, the, who are we using to ship these sandwiches? That's probably the accurate explanation behind why this is so oh, bad. I, my guess would be that they'd used this technique before for something where it was more believable. And it looks as though, from Subway's response, it looks as though a kind of opportunity fell into the crook's laps. And they figured, well, we may as well try it, even though people are going to most 99.9% of people are going to realize this because of the incongruity of signing a contract to buy a cheese and onion sandwich. Um, uh, and it seems that somehow they got, I don't think they got access to, it wasn't like they got into Subway's databases and could download stuff. It feels like they got a one-time opportunity, maybe like a, a login or just a web page that was still open where they could click a button on the company that Subway apparently uses for their newsletters that would send the email from the right server. So it came from a uh, an electronic marketing newsletter online service, and it happens to be the same one Subway uses. So if you went and looked at the email headers, it came from the right place, but it was clearly that the content was rubbish. So I guess they figured, well, we've got a one-time chance to do this. Whether the mailing list was one that was already on file with the newsletter company or not is unclear. Mm-hmm. My suspicion is it wasn't because we did have people say, oh, no, that I, I that's an email address I don't even use. I haven't used that for years, and it's not the one that is in any way associated with my subcard. Mm, okay. So it looks as though they had an, a, maybe they had a, an, an old list of email addresses from a breach that from many years ago, and they decided, well, we've got this one-time opportunity to send out a newsletter from the same company that Subway would use. So it'll pass all the all the email filtering tests of was it sent by a likely company authorized to send on behalf of Subway. But it fortunately, all the crooks had was first name and email address. Um, you know, so that they could have made it much more believable and it could have been much worse because the emails did have the right name and they weren't your dear customer sort that everyone goes, oh, well, that'll be a scam. So there was enough softening up that that it could have worked. Um, the good news is, as you say, they, it's like they tried far, far, far too hard. 
Yeah, it's like very complex, yet also not thought out at the same time. Other than the obvious, I get the, say I get this email, other than deleting it, what else can I do? What should I, what should the average person be on the lookout for, be worried about with this whole subway scam? I think the big reminder is, although you probably didn't fall for this one, it's worth reading through what the crooks had in mind. Imagine it being more sophisticated, that it wasn't a sandwich email. It was about something like uh, a house contract when you were moving house. And you know, imagine, that the, imagine that the crooks matched the seriousness of the documentation to mm-hmm. what you might have expected. The, the key takeaway here is that the crooks are using a trick that we see all the time. They're asking you to reduce your security deliberately by clicking buttons and changing settings, but they're using wording that might convince you that you're actually improving your security at the same time. So in this case, they stole the DocuSign brand. This document is protected, and to unprotect it, you need to enable all the you know these, these content viewing options that are off by default in Microsoft Office because they are dangerous. Uh, you know, and the fact that they sent the document out and you need a password to open the document in the first place. So you can see why that might lure people into believing, well, the crooks would never go to that length, but it isn't that complicated. And it allows them to create a believable decoy reason why you need to make changes to your security settings that somehow you've never needed to do before when reading other people's documents. And so that's the thing that this can teach you. So you probably wouldn't have gone ahead with this one. Read the article and see what the sequence was and remind yourself at each of the stages not to let that be something that makes something seem more believable than it really is in the future. Another bit of advice too, if your mail carrier shows up with a sandwich and a tracking number, don't eat it. (laughs) It's probably been sitting there for a while. Great advice all around, except for Doug. Uh, If you want to check out that article, it's the Subway Sandwich Scam Mystifies Loyalty Card Users on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All right, we're going to roll out a new segment officially called Technology Etymology. This is going to replace the weird comments, which were getting weird even for me. Yeah, even, yeah. Um, So we're going to look at the uh, origins behind some uh, popular technology terms. This one, via lifehack.org, most people believe that the common tech term bug came from computer programmer Grace Hopper, who literally found a bug in her system. That's rare, Admiral Grace Hopper, to you. Oh, Oh. thank you. Hopper was working on Harvard University's electromechanical computer in 1947 when she found a dead moth in the relay. Ever since, any technical Mm. hiccup became known as a bug. However... Hopper and her staff weren't the first to use it. That would have been Thomas Edison. In 1873, age 26, he called a fault with his quadruplex telegram system a bug. He wrote in his notebook, quote, awful lot of bugs still, end quote. His journal showed that he continued to use the word throughout his career, too. But between us chickens, he probably stole it from Nikola Tesla. Am I right? <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want to make that no, joke. Did I, but, but so yeah, thank you for doing that so on my behalf, yeah, Doug. Yeah, you, <laughs> too you <know>. soon? <laughs> too, too soon for Edison? Uh, I, but Any I appreciate you, Doug. Yeah, out there, I, uh, I was like, show me the receipts. I'll take the heat. For I want to. <laughs> yeah. I think I am going to start because I'd heard the, the Rear Admiral Grace Hopper story, and I'm going to start calling. Well, I was going to say faults in the programs I write. No, I'm going to call the faults in pe- programs other people write moths. Because mm. I think that's cool. Oh, no, there's a moth in the code. Um, because, you know, you get moths in your clothes. They, they make security holes, right? 
we got moths in our clothes and it cost thousands of dollars. Yeah. We had to replace all the clothes. We had to get them all dry cleaned. Oh. And we found uh, when we moved a couple years ago, I lifted up the couch because we couldn't fi- figure out where they were coming no. from. And there was about the size of a Frisbee, just like a moth <gasps> city of moths crawling around right where we sat and watched TV every night. Oh my God. I have the heebie-jeebies so bad right now. Yeah. It was so gross. We threw away that rug too, by the way. <laughs> And the couch. I so clothes, so. we got rid of so much stuff. Okay, let's talk about uh, fixing the moths and bugs inside our bodies. Something happened to the European Medicines Agency, or the EMA, which evaluates and approves medicines in the European Union. They said they'd been attacked, and that they're investigating, but they can't provide additional details. And then BioNTech, which has been working with Pfizer on the COVID vaccine, came out and said, that the EMA attack resulted in, quote, some documents relating to the regulatory submission, end quote, of the vaccine were unlawfully accessed. So needless to say, unsurprisingly, the headlines have been breathless. But Paul, it's a little more nuanced than giant COVID hack, right? Yes, I think the Obviously, a breach is a bad look for anybody. Uh, In my opinion, the EMA handled this terribly badly. They said, oh, it's under investigation, so we can't tell you anything. Now, when you get cybercrime investigations can go on for years, because if you genuinely want to find the person, then law enforcement are going to keep that case open until they get to a point where they can actually have the right sort of evidence to get a warrant. And then they decide, can I even go after the person? So it's almost like the EMA saying, we're never going to tell you what happened. And I haven't found any update on their site. So, you know, the, the immediate response is, well, it kind of smells like a ransomware attack, right? Well, some data has been accessed and we got this cyber attack and we kind of, we, you understand why somebody wants to basically close ranks and try and, if they're negotiating with the crooks, you know, they, they want to get that all dealt with. So, you know, that was an unfortunate thing. And the fact that uh, BioNTech came out and said, yeah, that, well, they told us they had some stuff stolen. It does look as though personal information, medical records, you know, details about the EMA's uh, employees, for example, sometimes uh, personal data about the people in the company get stolen in a hack. doesn't look like any of that happened. So let's assume that this is, you know, sort of all's well that ends well. The problem was not so much this breach and the EMA's perhaps poorly chosen 45 words to deal with it. The problem is that in the media, of course, it was a kind of question, it was a case of because coronavirus, and so a lot of people are applying, well, obviously, the crooks are going to be focusing on people like the EMA right now because of vaccines, right? Therefore, like, no one's going to have any time for little old me. So it really brought out that whole no one will be interested in little old me debate all over again, because obviously the EMA has got something that the crooks are after because coronavirus and Obviously, I'm doing air quotes again, little old me, I've got nothing that could ever be of any importance to the crooks, so I can just relax. And the truth is very different. There are all sorts of different cyber crooks out there, and they're interested in all sorts of different people and organisations. So anyone who thinks they're off the radar, they are off the radar, is uh, kind of misleading themselves. Can I submit that... (sighs) Okay. We have this implicit kind of agreement with attackers. They keep us employed. We keep them. It's a cat and mouse game. But is it so much to suggest that maybe like COVID stuff could be like off limits, off the table? Like we're all in this, like they're, they want the vaccine too. Why, why, why? Come on. Right. Like 
Stop. Maybe they're anti-vaxxers. You got me there, though. Checkmate, Kim. (laughs) Well, Doug, I think the answer to that is, A, they're crooks, and B, it's not as though they've slowed down on anything else. Mm Mm-hmm. Or it's not like they've gone. Oh well, you know, we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna go after the hospitals and the vaccine makers, and everyone else gets a free pass. We're gonna because there's lots of money there, and we know that they'll pay up. It isn't like that. And it's interesting that almost exactly the same time as we were writing up the EMA article about, you know, the, it is isn't, it isn't all about medical authorities. It isn't all about coronavirus. Sophos Labs published an article about. Uh, a ransomware gang called eGregor. They're one of those ransomware gangs that steals all your data before they scramble your files so they can double extort you. And they're also one of those gangs that has their own special marketing website where they publish details of companies that won't pay up in order to embarrass them and to try and persuade the next one to pay. The good news is it doesn't seem to be working. The bad news is the reason it doesn't seem to be working in in just about two months, this gang have published the details of 130 victims who didn't pay up. You know, this company, that company, they even picked out a couple of uh, online games companies, you know, it gave them special mention awards. 130 people have been outed. And the important part there is there was no typical victim. It wasn't like, oh, well, coronavirus vaccines are where the money is. That's where we're going. It was literally everybody, schools, manufacturing companies, logistics and shipping companies, financial institutions, technology companies, dot, dot, dot. So and and those are those are just the people, A, who didn't pay and B, that they could be bothered to make a big noise about. Mm. So, you know, if you're thinking, well, it's a pity that they're going after like coronavirus vaccine makers but at least it takes the heat off me absolutely the opposite is true it's they're going after everybody uplifting segment right now uh what <laughs> so what can we do to stop data sealing criminals keep them out of our networks i think the obvious thing particularly for attacks where you're kind of in the position that the ma found itself where they kind of didn't know what to say so they said we can't say anything and nobody quite knew what's going on i mean Lots of companies get that in that position because they realize they've got crooks in the network and they don't have, they've got something to say, but they don't know what it should be because they can't figure out the, 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 the whole nature of the attack yet. And so I think the, you know, apart from our traditional advice about things like patch early, patch off and pick proper passwords, use 2FA to, st- to make it harder for crooks to get in. The real deal is that these days it's really important not to ignore anything that could be the early sign of an attack and uh, John and I talked about that in some detail in the minisode that you mentioned earlier I'll mention it again it's the idea that five or ten years ago if you saw, you saw a malware incident the software jumped in removed it wrote it in a log at the end of the month you removed it hey look I I removed 945 viruses this month great job done sorted we're on top of this you could get away with that 10 years ago. It worked pretty well. These days, that doesn't work because any one of those individual incidents could be signs that crooks are just, if you like, practicing for what comes next. So don't ignore the early signs that something could be wrong. And at the risk of sounding crassly commercial, if you're if you don't have the time or the people or the expertise to jump in and investigate yourself, don't be afraid to call for help. 
So obviously, we I'm saying that because we have Sophos Managed Threat Response and the Sophos Rapid Response Team. But you know, there are there are lots of choices out there. Don't get to the point you go, oh well, I haven't got time to look at that, but I can see it's really important, so I'll just pretend it didn't happen. Okay, that's was there a COVID nineteen vaccine hack against the European Medicines Agency on NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. Alrighty, people, it is time for the Oh No of the Week. And this was submitted by a loyal listener who we're going to call Clumsy Craig. And Clumsy Craig writes, Back in 2000 and early in my IT career, Windows 98 was the common desktop operating system within our organization for most of the employees. One common problem was that the Windows temp folder would be populated with a great many files that would seem to grow exponentially with time. As part of my routine maintenance, I would start the computer in DOS, hold down the control on startup, so that the temp files would not be locked by the operating system, navigate to the temp folder, and delete all the files there with the command del star dot star. I was in the habit of typing cd windows, enter, cd temp, Enter, del star dot star, enter, y, enter, to confirm the wildcard deletion. I would then watch as the files being deleted rolled past. One fateful day while working on my boss's computer, I typed my commands, but misspelled temp. It's not going to end well, is it? The current directory never changed. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta finish reading this. They couldn't have made it easier. Temp. The current directory never changed from Windows to the temp folder. Being that I performed this action countless times, muscle memory continued on with the delete command. With dawning horror, I saw that the files being deleted were not the actual temporary files, but the Windows 98 operating system files. That was a difficult conversation that I had with my boss that morning and spent the rest of my day with Norton Utilities Undelete program typing the first character of each deleted file name, restoring the files one by one. Ever since then, anytime I do a wildcard deletion, I can assure you, I examine the path before confirming. <laughs> the he did get the end. temp folder too. Yeah, so he did get it, but he deleted everything else. <laughs> yeah. There is so much nostalgia packed. So a quick story that will seem unrelated, but when uh, my wife and I got married, we went to this thing called the running of the brides. Just yes. Google it. Yes. yes so it's silly. all these, this store puts all these wedding dresses out and they open the doors and all these brides run in, grab as many dresses as they can and try them all on. They get a great discount. So my wife got like a $3,000 wedding dress for 500 bucks. Nice. That So the first year we did it was fine. No one got hurt. Everyone was fine. <laughs> the second year we did it, we went for her friend and within 10 feet of running through the doorway, I got knocked over. Wow. And each time I tried to push myself up, a 110-pound <laughs> bride would step on my back. And this oh. happened for about 10 to 15 seconds of oh horror. My- Doug, you almost died. It was not enough to seriously injure me, but it was enough that I couldn't get up. Oh my point my in telling God. you this story is when reading this oh no, it was like nostalgia pushing me down and every time i try to get back up nostalgia <laughs> so windows the year 2000 windows 98 the temp folder the temp folder getting too big hold, starting the computer in dos by holding control the start out start the deleting deleting all of windows back <laughs> and then to just the icing on the cake using norton utilities <laughs> to, to, like, to, like so it was the reverse of uh the terrifying experience of 
uh, almost being mauled to death by uh, would soon to be brides. It was a very nice experience for me to read this because the nostalgia just kept on coming and pushing me back down. Can I also commend you for going with your wife and then also your wife's friend to the this running of the brides yeah. uh, event? That's very... I did not go after the second time. I did not go back. I. <laughs> Uh, did your wife continue to go to these events? She may have gotten one more time, but um, I, I never went back. It's so early. You got to get there at like three in the morning and right. it's cold out. It's like the middle. It's not, yeah. it's, there's nothing fun about it. Oof. Anyway. So. Well, guys, we're at the end of our episode. And as we said before, we are off the next two weeks, but the podcast is still going, baby. We have great guest episodes with Rachel Toback and Karen L. Azari. You will have a great time listening to their stories. And um, before we close out, I want to read this review from Boshi, who left us a nice five-star review and rating on Apple Podcasts, who says, delightful and excellent content. Great mix of fun banter and very educational. Good for all levels of those interested in information and computer security. Thank you so much, Boshi. If you have uh, an Ono of the week, you can email us tips at sophos.com. You can also leave an anonymous comment on nakedsecurity.sophos.com on any of our articles, or you can DM us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Naked Security. And of course, if you want to leave us a five-star review, I will read it on the podcast. So go ahead and leave us one in Apple Podcast. But until next time, stay, stay secure. James, I need you to stop coughing in the background.